everybody, I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my books, my preaching, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. Well, hey, everybody, this Good Word Podcast. I'm here with Nish Wyseth. Hi, Nish. Hey. Oh, it's so good to see you. And I'm looking <laughs> at, I, I, before we turn the recorder on, uh, where Nish is sitting is, I assume in your office or something, but there's this killer brick wall that I'm looking at behind Nish's face. And I'm, I'm actually quite envious in, in my <laughs> very tan little office. Um, and so I'm, I'm inspired by, I'm inspired by the brick. Uh, <laughs> So Nish lives in Salt Lake City. She is a speaker. She's a writer. Uh, she's written a book called Speak, which is really about how storytelling – well, I actually say, say a thing about um, Speak because you would say it better than I would since I didn't, I didn't write the book. <laughs> sure. No, it's, um, it's essentially about how the act of sharing our stories and the act of storytelling can bridge the divide both in culture – and in church, um, it can do that in politics as well. And just that, that act of vulnerability is, um, the thing that's going to move us forward, um, into places of agreement and in places of consensus and, um, and all those types of things. So I love that. And I resonate with that so big. And I think you have to, we have to be courageous people to lead with story versus position, you know, right. I mean, it's like, we are, it's so tempting right now. Hey, what, you know, who did you vote for? What do you, blah, blah, blah. And versus, um, you know, let's get to know each other non one dimensional as multidimensional people with intersectionality. And so, yes, yes, yep. makes, I will, I will. And then you're also in the process of writing your second book. So tell us yep. about that. Yes. So currently the second book is titled, um, you can sit with me mm-hmm. and the subtitle is when the following Jesus makes you an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty much my story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've just always been an outsider. I've always felt like an outsider. I've never kind of felt like I fit. And so what does that look like both in, you know, just in your church context and family context? Like what does it mean to follow the way of Jesus? And ultimately, if you're truly following Jesus at one point or another, you will feel like you don't fit. And that's yes. kind of the beauty of it. And so yeah. it has this really kind of beautiful, redemptive mosaic picture mm-hmm of the body of Christ where like we all at some point don't fit, but we do. And it's beautiful. So we do. We we belong to each other. That's right. And if we can remember that, man, well, I love that too. Um, wow. I always kind of freeze up. Like when people say like, well, what's your book about? I go, uh, like I have this fear, I I have this fear of like, (laughs) how can I encapsulate this into like, I've actually worked on it. Like, how can I, how can right. I talk about it in a way that is the elevator thing, but that doesn't cheapen it? Like, cause what I want to say is like, Oh, it's, it's so nuanced and, and <laughs> like, no, anyway. Um, I always forget. I'm like, what did I write a book about? Because you've been <laughs> staring at it forever and your mind sort of starts to like wipe it out. Cause you just don't want to talk about it anymore. And so then people are like, what did you write a book about? I'm like, I don't I'm know. I'm not even sure. It, it, <laughs> somewhere in the copy editing, it got totally lost and murdered. Yep. Uh, okay. I, uh, Nish, yeah. I, I did read a thing on Facebook or Twitter somewhere and you had just received, um, a royalty statement. Uh, and you're like, Oh, you know, and okay. So I'm, I'm going to say this out loud in front of, you know, all four people that are listening. Uh, I, my last royalty statement was in the negative. Like it oh, was, mine is too I, <laughs> oh my, 
like, fine. I'm never, Zondervan is never earning that money back. And I like this amount of like, books got so returned yeah. and this amount of books got <laughs> yeah. sold. Like that's the worst is when they get oh. returned. Like I would be happy if it was just like, you don't have a lot of sales, but exactly. the ones when you're like, they, you're going to give me return numbers. <laughs> like, don't even, don't put that on there. I don't oh want to see gosh. that. I just went backwards toward my, it's, yeah. Yeah. So depressing. That's <laughs> what I, I, I did have, I mean, misery, misery loves company. I did have to That's sort exactly of, right. I did have to sort of chuckle about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, and you and your husband, Eric and your, well, I guess you didn't have kids then, I don't think, but you left Portland. We had our our first son. Yeah, you he was your first not son. even two yet. Yeah, okay. When, uh, when you moved to Salt Lake and you've been there about four years and you were part of a church plant mm-hmm. called yep. Missio Day. Missio Day. We're planted Day. out of Imago Day in Portland. Yeah. So. Yeah. Rick McKinley. Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. Fun. Okay. Um, so uh, a bunch of questions for you and yeah. big, big shout out to Seth Haynes, our, our beautiful, uh, oh, Seth. our beautiful Enneagram five wing four brother, Seth Haynes that we love. That's right. Um, I love Seth. He is, he is a big brother. I am his little sister, probably in every way a little sister is I'm like the nagging one that like won't leave him alone about stuff. Like he's, he probably thinks I'm obnoxious, but I love him. I'm so happy. Oh. That I love him. He's amazing. And, and the shout out to Nate Pyle, our mutual friend who I yeah. saw because I just was, I was like, I was, I was on your Twitter. I was on your Facebook and you have on, on Twitter, like in <laughs> your bio, <laughs> Nate Pyle saying that you're like the sister you never had or wanted. Yeah. I told him, I'm like, <laughs> I feel like you're like my, my, my big brother. And I'm like, your your little sister. And he's like, yeah, you're like the little sister I never had. <laughs> Or wanted. <laughs> like, see, this is, I have these like two amazing men in my life. I I consider Nate one of my like pastors at large. Yeah. He's just this yeah. phenomenal pastor, um, pastoral heart. But man, him and Seth, they tolerate me so well. I'm oh. so thankful for those guys and their friendship. They're great. amazing. They're great dudes. Great <laughs> dudes. Okay. Um, some questions. Number one. Yes. You grew up in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the buckle, but you grew up in North Carolina, right? I mean, I did. The, the Bible Belt, and your parents were atheists. So are still are mm-hmm. are atheists. So walk yeah. me through what that looks like, and eventually, at some point, I assume in your journey, you decided right. to not follow in your parents' footsteps in that uh-huh. regard. So just tell me about the beauty, the crazy, the, the, the awesome, the not awesome about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, you kind of have to start with a little bit of backstory. Like my parents grew up very, very strict, very conservative Catholic families. Yeah. Um, both, I mean, both, both sets of grandparents were very entrenched in, in Catholic life and Catholic church and Catholic schooling. And I mean, all of it. Um, if my, my dad's side of the family is fully Russian and my mom's side of the family is fully Irish, if that gives you wow. any context to how Catholic wow. Yeah. And so <laughs> real strict Catholic. And so when they grew up, um, and left home, they just walked away from all of it. They were like, we don't like need this. We don't want this. We don't want this in our life. It's not a value. Um, and so that was what I grew up with. But on the flip side of that, my parents were, I mean, atheists, not believers at all. Um, but very open and, yeah. and allowed us to kind of have our own journey. They never pressured us one way or another. If we wanted to go to church with our friends, they'd be like, sure, whatever you want to do. You know, they were just very, they, they never talked down about it. They were never disparaging, which was really great. 
Um, cause I felt like I could go on a journey. I felt like I could kind of make those discoveries for myself. And so when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I got invited to young life, which I'm sure, you know, a little yep. bit about, yep. um, yeah, I got invited to young life and well, I was a, I was a freshman. And then my sophomore year, I, I went to camp, you know, the greatest weekend of your life and yes. did the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, kind of, that's when all the pieces just fit together for me. Um, and made the decision to follow Jesus and came home and told my parents I was a Christian. Yes. <laughs> um, and it was like, they were like, why? <laughs> like they weren't, it's a good question. Like, yeah. And they weren't. And of course I'm like a sophomore in high school and I'm like, because I believed the story. Like I didn't have any other better reason than that. And so, um, but they were really, really supportive. But mm. up until that point, like growing up in the South, and not going to church because we moved there when I was 13, 12. And, um, so I went quite a few years of being like, I didn't have a church that I went to. I didn't have a youth group that I belonged to. I didn't have any of those things. All my friends had that like teen study Bible yeah. that looked like it had the paint on the front of it. You know what I'm talking about? Totally. Um, and oh, do they, yeah. do they have right. the, did some of them have sort of the, the cover with their name embroidered on the front? Did oh, some of them yeah. see yeah. that's, that's mm -hmm. what I remember. Oh, That's yeah, what I everyone remember. had that and they kept it in their lockers. And, oh, yeah. You know, they were, and this was like, what would Jesus do? Yeah. So time. they had the bracelets, like one color, like a color for every outfit type of a thing. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. It was a delight. Um, <laughs> and so I was just, I was like steeped in this evangelical Christian yeah. culture yeah. in the South, which is similar to being Mormon in Utah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I live here and everyone, everyone's Mormon. Yeah. And it's, it's not even just a faith, you know, um, proclamation or, you know, a, um, belief system. It's, it's a culture. Yeah, it's totally. It's own culture. Um, and that's how it is in the South. And so I grew up in that and entered into it and it was really hard. It was really hard. Cause like the second question that people ask you when you move there is after what does your daddy do is, um, what church do you go to? Yeah. And you're like, I don't go to church. And they're like, what do you mean you don't go to church? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah. I'm like, I don't go to church. And they're like, you're not a Christian. I'm like, I mean, I think I'm a Christian. My grandparents are Catholic. So <laughs> may, I don't, maybe, I don't know. What does that mean? And they're just like, <sighs> they just have no, they have no context for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, don't have a framework. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I lived in a big city. I lived in Raleigh. It's not like I was living in like rural North right. Carolina. But right. this is still just life. And so growing up, man, in that world and not feeling like you belonged um, was really hard. And even after I became a believer in high school, like all of my friends had 15 years of knowing the language, knowing where things were in their Bible, knowing like, I mean, there's like I said, it's a culture. It's yeah. a whole way of living that all of a sudden you have to enter into. And if you don't have that background and you're a high school kid already feeling like you don't quite fit, and then you get into this world that they welcome you into supposedly, but then they kind of don't help you navigate it. It's this, it really is like baptism by fire. Almost. Yeah, you're yeah. just like you, you drown in it. And so in that way, that was, that was hard. And so like, I, I became a believer, but I didn't really become a disciple until I was in college. Cause I just didn't know. Yeah. I just assumed that Christianity was cultural and 
if you learned the language, if you learned the ways, then that was good enough. And so I just kind of made sure that I didn't seem too much like an outcast. And Mm. I thought that I was good. But, you know, then I realized like, oh, this actually means it's supposed to like cost you something. (laughs) You're supposed to, you know, actually live like Jesus. Imagine that. And so, yeah, it just ended up being this whole other thing later. But no, it was, it was, it was tense, man. It was tense at times, but, um, I'm grateful for it Yeah. now. I'm so grateful for it. Well, and you, so you've mentioned that you've identified as an outsider for a lot of your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and I, and that continues now. I mean, I just know yeah. from the basis of what I know about you and have read from you, um, it, how, when did, when did you say, Oh, mm-hmm. like, um, this is probably how I'm going to move through life. Um, when did that occur to you and what was your journey like accepting that or not accepting that fighting that? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good question. And I think that I'd have to say that really it started pretty, I mean, relatively soon after I moved to Salt Lake. So it's even been like recently, just in recent years, um, even after being an outsider, you know, for as long as I can remember, I didn't really realize like, Oh, this is, this is the narrative thread that like runs through my life here. Um, and how I interact with the world is always going to be from that framework because that's just what I know. Yeah. And so, um, it, it really came when, uh, maybe a couple years after I moved to Salt Lake city, um, and learning about the Mormon culture, learning about the faith tradition that's here. Um, cause it is the predominant faith in, yeah. in Utah for the first time ever. I am a religious minority. One of the <laughs> only places in the country that you can say that as a Christian, that you are the religious minority. Right. Um, and so I, I kind of like sat back and realized like after, I mean, it's obvious in this context that you don't fit. Um, but then looking back at my life and going like, Oh, this, like, yeah, this is the narrative thread that has run through my story, but also I'm never going to let, like, I can't let go of that piece of my story and I'm going to operate throughout life with this lens. And so, and learning to embrace that and learning that like, that actually is a piece of empowerment in me. Um, and a lot of that too came, I mean, there was a lot that has been birthed in in the last few years with me and kind of coming to grips with like, being a woman and also feeling like an outsider, um, you know, being a strong, independent, outspoken woman and, you know, all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it really has been in, in recent years and, um, which is interesting because I think that, I mean, everything in our culture speaks this like, uh, almost like undercurrent belief that like you have to belong somewhere that you have to be a part of something that you can't be left out, that it's, not okay to be different or an outsider or an outlier, however you want to frame that. Yeah. Um, and then having to like break that down a bit and go, no, like, I think that's actually a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of beauty and redemption and there's a lot of compassion, um, and camaraderie amongst people who don't quite feel like they fit. Yes. Um, and 
it's amazing. The minute that you say like, I don't feel like I fit is the minute that like all these other people look around and they're like, I don't feel like I fit either. You're like, Oh my God, I'm not alone. It's so funny. It's this ironic thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, recently, recently that I've only realized it a and B not just come to grips with it. I don't even think that's a good way to put it, but, um, really embraced it and have tried to utilize it as a strength. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I so, love that. Yeah. There you go. I love that. And did your writing help you to hone any of that? What, how, what did writing play in your journey toward embracing that? Yeah. Writing definitely played a piece in that because I, I mean, it, it really started when that, that piece of the journey with, with the writing started back in, in Portland when I created deeper story. I don't know if you ever yeah. read deeper. Story. Yep. Yeah. The yep. collaborative blog. Um, because I realized that no one else was writing the way that I wanted to write yeah. and no one else was writing about the things that I wanted to write about in the way that I wanted to write about them. Yes. And so I created this space where I thought, well, if no one else is doing it, then I'm going to do it. And so that journey of giving, not just giving myself a space to write that way and to write about those things, but giving a lot of other people the space. I mean, in the end we had at one point over like 120 people that have contributed to deeper story. I mean, it's just this huge community of people and that, that act in and of itself was hugely empowering in realizing like, Oh, here I am. I've always been an outsider. I've always felt like I didn't fit my writing and giving other people a place to write has only solidified that and given me more hope in yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's played a huge, a huge piece. Um, and just like most things that didn't happen in isolation, it was, you know, in community with a bunch of other writers that, that happened and, um, which is, which is beautiful. It's the church, right? <laughs> It is. But I think it's fascinating, though, because I think some people would just say, I'm going to start a blog. And I know you blog, just mm -hmm. your own blog. But but most people would say, I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to write about being an outsider. And I'm going to sort of right. tr try to find a tribe of followers. That, mm -hmm. But but instead, you said, no, I want to create a space where lots of writers can write about this. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I that just strikes me. Um, I wonder where else that plays out in your life. You know, like, are you, yeah. are do you, even with moving to Salt Lake City to be a part of a church plant, like, do you see that in other areas of your life where you, where you carve out a garden for other people to grow in? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think it's, it's happening on a, on a slow level, maybe in like real life, Salt yeah. Lake life, I should yeah. say. Um, one place that I have found, um, that where that's happening, where I haven't necessarily been the one doing the carving, right? But other women have carved it for me is in the realm of preaching and speaking. Yeah. Um, I've always felt, excuse me, like I could, that I could preach and speak and do that well. Um, but I didn't see a lot of other women doing that. And so again, it's like you look around and there's like no one there. Yeah. But then all of a sudden there are other women that, you know, you start to hear that are doing it. And like, they, they just kind of trickle in. And then before you know it, you're, you look around and you're like, Oh, here's this, here's this beautiful community of women that I'll preach and speak in churches in front of men. Yes. And yes. Like, not just at women's conferences, but like <laughs> we actually do speak to congregations. And it's yep. like, Oh, here's this other space where we all felt really alone. 
And then the minute that you say, I feel alone is the minute that someone else says, I feel alone too. And then another person says, I feel alone. I feel alone. I feel alone. And then you're like, look at us. We're not alone anymore. And so that has probably been the strongest narrative is, um, and like the, the strongest maybe carving out space for me is having the bravery to say, I feel alone here. Um, because a lot of people struggle with it silently or they'll leave their communities. They'll kind of break off and do their own thing because they just don't feel like they fit. Whereas if they voiced it and yeah. said, Hey, I'm going to put my hand up here and I, I feel alone here. I feel yeah. like I don't fit. I guarantee you nine times out of 10, someone's going to say, I feel like I don't fit too. And even if you have that one other person that it makes all the difference in the world. Well, and I guess as you're talking, what strikes me is the universality of that statement. I feel alone. I mean, Mm. I I don't believe that's just a subset of our society. I just think, I think that that is every single person that has the courage to name it, to name where it is that they feel alone. And that's really vulnerable. Uh, So I think you're right. I mean, you, you called it courageous. If you have the courage to say it, Mm-hmm. Then you find, oh my goodness, ironically, you're well, not, you're yeah. not alone. Yeah, but it, but it takes that first step. It's yeah. So hard. Yeah. Um, that is a deep truth. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. So I followed something during the election season, this beautiful election season that we had. Oh, it was uh, precious. In these, in, <laughs> Bless it. In these oh, United States. but I think I like you got such crazy feedback that you had to change your Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and your personal Facebook page. Yeah. Um, so when we say lead with story, which you do, you talk about your kids and some of their needs and their exceptionalities you talk about your own journey with even mental illness and depression and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to be in, you know, Facebook is like, Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, um, talk about the effect that that has had on the courage that you still have. Cause you're still out there. I mean, you're still sharing your beautiful stories about, Scout is it? Is one of your kids? Scout, my daughter. Yeah, she's crazy. Good lord, she's funny. I mean, just even even today, I I I think I read. I think it was today. It's like you're talking about you know patriarchy, and no, it's about equality. And she's like, yeah, I totally agree, except for when it comes to me, I'm I'm better than all the boys. Yeah, that's what she said. (laughs) Well, except me, mom. Except me, mom. What do you mean? I'm always better than the boys. I'm always better. uh It's hard to argue with Scout. Uh, It's (laughs) hard to argue with. Um, But no, so. We talk about courage, you talk about naming your story and, and inhabiting your story. Yeah. In the face of some pretty ridiculous and more than ridiculous, like very attacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you do that? How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you keep going? You mean? How do yeah. you keep just yeah. going for it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where I was speaking out online, specifically on Twitter. Yeah. About Trump. Yeah. Um, and about his rhetoric and I mean, what, (laughs) there's a long list of reasons that you could speak out about Trump. Um, and I was, I was speaking out about it. Um, and there were a group of, I mean, if we're going to call them that alt-right, um, folks that, um, 
started like essentially like bombing my direct messages uh-huh. if they could. And so they, they, they tried to do that on Twitter and then they found me on Facebook. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I had the setting, but like people who don't follow me or who are, I'm not friends with could still private message me, even uh-huh. though they couldn't see like my Facebook page. So they found me on Facebook and they started messaging me. Um, I mean, horrible things like things that would, um, I mean, they, they were, they were horrific. I probably should have called the police. Like it was, it was horrific. And so ultimately I, you know, I talked to folks at Facebook and they're like, here's what you should do. Here's your privacy settings, change your name if you can, like whatever, whatever they kind of walked me through it. Right. And so that rattled me of going like, what, what if, like, what if they did find me in my house? Like, what if they did find my kids and pick them up from school? Like, what, what if these things that they said are, are true? What do you, what do you do? Um, and I sat with that and had to really weigh the pros and cons of still speaking out or even just still being present in a public space online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like there's, there's downsides and this is one of them. I mean, that's a nice way of putting it, but, um, Ultimately, for me, it was, um, I just, I refuse to live in fear. Yeah. And I don't ever want my children to see me live out of fear. That was the other thing too. It's like, I'm not going to be scared into silence, like ever. If I'm going to be moved into silence, it's going to be by the spirit of God telling me, Nish, you need to be silent. Because if anyone knows me, it would take an act of God to get me (laughs) silent. (laughs) (laughs) that's the truth and so I'm like no I'm not I'm not gonna stop talking about this I'm not gonna live in fear I'm not going because it it let it 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 gives them the victory right it it tells them okay fine you win I'll shut up yeah but then it's one more person that's quiet in a world of Christians that were already being too quiet (sighs) yeah right and so I felt like no, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. I will do what I need to do based on people who are experts at online security and privacy to make sure that I am protected in the ways I need to be protected. But otherwise I'm still going to go for it. Like I'm not going to stop, you know, swinging for the fences, um, you know, on issues that are super important, you know, like if it, I mean, I don't really have a comparison, but I mean, what was going on in the election and current, I mean, what is still going on? Yeah. Currently? Um, some of these things are so important to, especially to, you know, communities who are marginalized. And if we're not speaking up, then we can't, we can't assume that someone else will. Yeah. And so I just keep going for it, which I don't know. The history will judge whether that was a good <laughs> idea or not, but here we are. And I'm going to go for it anyway. That's what I say. Well, I mean, I like your voice in the world, Nish. I, oh. I, I appreciate your voice in the world. And, and I think, um, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very disheartening to hear what you have gone through and others, you know, you're not alone yeah. in that uh, others, yeah. seriously women. Um, geez. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, but there's also, you know, if so, um, are you familiar with the, with the term ecotone? There's a, no, I'm not. Tell okay. Me about so it. it's a, it's a geological term, right? Okay. And it's, it's, it's where two adjacent ecological communities meet like a forest and a meadow or like 
at, at the beach, yeah. like the sand and in the ocean. Well, the ecotone is the place that's not quite one and not quite the other. It's, it's both. It's, it's this yeah. really fertile and new things grow in the ecotone that don't grow on either side. Things spring oh, up oh. and, and, and so, and the word is, uh, this is Terry Tempest Williams. She's this, yeah. you know, she's this amazing ecologist. And Krista Tippett had her on her show and this is how I learned this. And I was running and I like stopped running. Oh. And so, um, when we have the courage, I think to speak out, to carve out that place in between, mm. when we have the courage to do that. I think what needs to propel us forward in doing that is that new life can spring up in those places that can't spring up anywhere else. Exactly right. Um, and so that encourages me. I mean, like when I get discouraged about whatever it is that I'm trying to speak about or think about, um, is this thing of like, we are people of the ecotone, you know, we are, mm. we are people who, um, who, and so eco ecology, but tone, Tone comes from tonos. It means tension, right? So it's people that are willing to live in that tension. Um, yeah. And it's not easy. Um, I love that. As you know, isn't that cool? Isn't Stealing that amazing? It. Steal it. <laughs> Steal it. Talk about it. Um, it, it really That's helps amazing. me. I'm really going to that Krista Tippett episode. Yeah, too. It's, it's, gosh, it's probably three or four years ago. But if you just search Terry Tempest Williams. I will do that. Uh, and the whole interview is crazy good. Um, okay. And by the way, we will put that on the show notes, um, people, if you want to. It's Terry Tempest Williams on, on being. All right. So do you know your Enneagram number, Nish? Are you an Enneagram nerd? <laughs> yes. I <laughs> okay. do know my Enneagram number. Would you share it and with us, please? If, if you looked up in any resource what a five was, you would find my picture because I am like the fivest of five fives. Like I'm the fiveiest five that ever fived. That five is like, five wing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I think told me that. He's like, I think you may just be a five with a five wing. <laughs> like, it's probably true. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I am a five. All right. All way. Such a five. So, so. Um, that is beautiful. Um, so, I mean, fives can be fives. Sometimes I'm a three and I just hate that I'm a three. Um, I feel so much shame about my threeness, but I say I have a four <laughs> wing, like you know, I have a four. Yeah. It's just like, oh no, please three is three, but ever three. Yeah. Three is three. So like, so, I mean, is it like, do, do you, are you a researcher? Are you, I mean, what makes you a five? What, why do you say you're the five? Cause we, and I just did, I mean, if you're, Anyway, to listeners, we just did this two thing, two episode thing on Enneagram. So we're, we're sort of into it. Every person yep. now I'm asking, what is your number? So what, what makes you a five? So the thing for me that makes me the fivest of fives is that number one, I cannot have too much information. Yes. Um, I, I want all of the information that you have. I'm like Ron Swanson when he goes at Dubois Parks and Rec when he's like, yes. I want all the bacon and eggs that you have. All of it. And he looks at me and he's like, I don't think you heard me. I didn't yeah. say I want a lot of eggs and bacon. All of it. I want all the eggs and bacon. Yes. That's me with information. I want all of the information that you have. Yeah. And I, the, the thing that actually makes me the fivest of fives is not the healthy parts. It's actually where I swing to when I'm unhealthy. Yeah. I, that is me to a T where I go almost inside myself 
And I can't, and I, I keep gathering information, keep gathering information. And it's almost like I, um, like I, I hermit a bit. Yeah. And instead of being like using that information to be the expert, which is, you know, very five, yeah. right. Yeah. I instead look at all of the information when I'm unhealthy and I go, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to stay in the dark yes. and just not do anything. I'm just going to stay in my house yeah. and I'm going to avoid everything else. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is probably what makes me the fiveiest of five, but, <laughs> um, no, I do. I am a researcher. Yeah. Um, I love information. I love, um, yeah, I'm, I'm also the type of person who has to, or has, has a, not has to, but has a really strong drive to, um, be the expert. Yep. Um, no matter what it is, like I know in my brain, I'm not going to be the expert on everything. Like I'm not going to be able to get a PhD in literally every subject, but, <laughs> but maybe, I mean, I mean, if I can be the most knowledgeable person in the room, then that would be I, good. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Yes. And so that is, you know, a, a, a huge driver for me and not in a way that like, um, I mean, I definitely can swing this way to like lord it over people is to say like, I know more than you, I'm the expert, but that actually like brings me life and brings me healthy integration with other people yeah. is that like, I, I have all this information about this thing. Let me be in relationship with you so that we can talk about that thing. Cause I have so much to talk about. Yes. I have so much, I've been reading all of this information and I need someone to talk about it with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that, yeah, I'm. I'm super, I'm five, <laughs> five, five. So five. I, I sense you're not totally sure if you're a five. So, I mean, I, I just no. want to encourage you to be, um, up in the air, you know. <laughs> all right. So, um, I mean, so related to that, you've been open, um, about, uh, at least one of your kids has exceptional intelligence on the mm -hmm. autism spectrum. Yeah. And did you like walk so I, I assume your journey as an outsider um, gives you some, um, I don't know, direction into how you parent. Your fiveness gives you probably some, you're going to research the hell out of that, um, out of, you know, how to parent kids on the spectrum. But would you talk about that a little bit? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that the theme of this one is going to be um, what it means to, to, to live life as an outsider. Mm -hmm. So talk about that from the standpoint of a parent, because it's one thing yep. to, to yourself feel that way. It's another thing mm -hmm. to parent. Um, yeah, go. Yeah. It's, um, the thing that I, that I always try to communicate to myself first and then also to other people as it relates to parenting a child with autism, um, is that when it comes to people with autism or people who are autistic, autistic, um, whatever outsider status that I feel as their parent will always pale in comparison to the outsider status that my kid will grow up being. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I think that me being an outsider in a few different realms gives me at least a touchstone of how to parent, not just Rowan, my child who's autistic, but also to parent Scout, yeah. my, my youngest daughter, and what it means to be fully inclusive and yeah. what it means to 
have compassion and what it means to, um, you know, welcome the stranger and to try to make other people feel as less like an outsider as possible. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that it's, it's helped me in that regard. But again, like nothing, all of the outsider status that I have felt my whole life combined (laughs) will never even compare to the outsider status that people who are autistic feel. And, but it has helped. It has helped to Mm. go like, okay, no, I know. I at least know that, that feeling, like that feeling of looking around going like, I cannot relate. I cannot, um, I don't fit in. I don't see anyone here. Who's like me. I don't, like it's on a much lesser degree, but at least it's there. At least I have that like little kind of check to go, okay, no, I know how that feels. Yeah. Um, and that's immensely helpful as a parent. Um, yeah, like I said, not just for Rowan, but for Scout. Big time. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering that. Um, all right, Nish, last question. Um, gosh, this, this has flown by for me. Um, <laughs> you're like, Oh my gosh, another question. No, this has been amazing. Um, where are you finding hope these days and where, so this is really two, two questions. Okay. Where are you finding hope these days and where are you frustrated these days with our world, with, um, anything you want to talk about? I hope that you were planning on this being like a two hour episode. Because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just a nice little one to end on. Right. Because, yeah. Right. I'm like, Oh, where am I frustrated with the world? Oh, let me um, I can't. So no. Okay. Let's start with, you know what? Let's start with frustration and then okay. end with hope. I always like Sounds to end great. on like the hope note. Right. Okay. So, the frustration, I mean, I feel like is just, it's not just me. I feel like it's palpable. Yep. Like it's just, it is this, it has become this tangible thing in the air that like I walked across the street to the grocery store yesterday and I looked at the lady at the checkout counter. We live across the street from the grocery store, yep. literally across the street. We live in downtown Salt Lake, walked across, went to the checkout counter mm-hmm. and they know me. And I looked at the lady who I see all the time and she just looked at me and I looked at her and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay. Mm. And I looked at her and I'm like, we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And she's like, I know it's going to be okay. And like, it's this like palpable, like people are feeling it. Even, even people who are conservative and Republican, like can look at the state of things and go like, something is not right. Like all my friends who are conservative go like, this isn't, this isn't good. Something's not, this is completely different. This feels different than anything that anyone has ever experienced. Um, and so, yeah, I think just, just the state of things, I think the state of people's hearts, um, can, can be discouraging, but on the flip side of that, and this is where I'll, where I'll end with the, the hope piece, is that there is this angst and there is this frustration and there is this like sense of desperation if, yeah. we're, if we're honest. Um, I said this earlier to a friend. I'm like, I, I think everyone's looking around look, feeling like we're in free fall. Like yeah. Everyone's looking for a ripcord. But there's no bottom. I mean, th- that's no what's bottom. scary. Like we've been in free fall we've and fall. where's the bottom? And everyone is <clears throat> hit bottom, the bottom gets taken out from back underneath us. And yeah. then it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, yep. there, there is no bottom. Yeah. And, um, 
And I think that that's what people are feeling. And it's created this like tension, this, there's some, there's definitely some anger. There's, um, unrest, but on the flip side of that, um, like I watched the women's marches and, you know, participated and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it was, and I, I don't agree with every tenant of the platform that, that, that they put out, right? Like I am a pro-life Christian woman and yet, yeah, yeah of course I marched. Like, <laughs> of course I did. Um, but, and so I looked out at all of these women and men, but mostly women who were coming around and going like, no, like we're standing here together despite our differences, despite um, you know, all of these things. And despite what feels like complete and total despair. Yeah. And we're going to say, no, like we are for each other and we belong to each other. And no, like yeah. we say no. Yes. To, uh, to the, what, you know, I mean, a lot of people would say is the source of some of this angst and frustration, right? The current administration and what's happening and the deeper marginalization of people. Um, and I just, I mean, here we go. Here's my feminist coming out. All right. Is that like, of course it was women. Yeah. Of course it was women that finally said no yeah. and said, we're done with yeah. this. Yeah. No more. Yeah. Because that's kind of been history. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like yeah. it's all, I mean, even though in the end there may be, you know, men that get things signed and, you know, you know, get the treaties passed and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's women who were out on the streets. It was women who were doing the hard work in their homes. It was women who were, you know, pushing these agendas forward and risking everything and further marginalization, especially women of color, yep. LGBT women. Um, I mean, it's, it's just the, the history of the movement, right? Yeah. And I just looked out at the sea of millions of women across the country. And in my own state, we marched actually yesterday. Um, at the start of the legislative session and just looked around and I was, you're just moved to tears yep. as a woman. Um, yep. and hopefully as, as men too, I know my husband was so empowered and so like, yes, yes. Like finally. Yes. Um, and so I think that there's great hope there to say yeah. like, no, we can, we do still have power here, even though the, yeah, the cards are totally stacked against us, um, for a lot of different reasons, but if there's enough people that come together and say like enough is enough yeah, and something is going to change. I don't know if you watched Saturday night live on Saturday, but I didn't. Uh, Not yet. Yeah. Aziz Ansari hosted. And yes. Took, which he's brilliant and funny and I love him. He said this amazing thing where he's like, change has all, I'm going to paraphrase, but he's like, change has always happened because large groups of people got angry. Yep. And, um, he's like, if the first day (laughs) is any indication, like we're going to be okay. And I think that's totally true. Like looking back on history and going like, no, this is like change I think has happened and is still currently underfoot. Like, again, I think the bottom is still not to be found beneath us, but I think that, I think that we're going to be okay. I think someone's going to find a ripcord somewhere and we're going to be, we're going to be all right. Yeah. that was the picture for me this weekend, which was, it was just beautiful and hopeful. So I'm grateful for it. 
Um, thank you for that. Thank you for both, yeah. both of those answers. Um, <laughs> huge, huge amens from me. Well, and I good. think, um, uh, what I'm noticing even in my community that I pastor and just my friends and, you know, is yeah. people are kind of going like, okay, well, I feel a greater sense of urgency mm-hmm. and agency that yes. actually I am mm-hmm. going to do something. Maybe it's going to be mentoring a kid. Maybe it's going to be marching for the first time. Maybe it's going to be taking a class on, you know, to be a better parent. Um, I'm seeing it happen in small ways and big ways. And to me, that's, what's encouraging to me. It's like, um, in a way that maybe I hadn't seen over the previous eight years, Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a personal level of agency in men and women, people of color and, you know, Caucasian and people. And it's like, we're, and I think the march is is really a great the, the the march this last weekend is really great and of course, you know everyone blows up on Facebook. You know I I, I remember I, I I mean it's like oh my goodness but I I tweeted something like, so inspired by pictures of my friends marching, and someone you know retweeted and quoted and said what you're inspired by the vulgar pictures and the you know the murderous threats toward unborn babies and you know all that stuff and. And of course I got sort of mad, but then, um, actually the thought that went through my mind is, okay, we see what we want to see. Yep. Do you know what I mean by that? We, Always. we see what, if you want to see that, if you want to see that the March, 4 million people as mm-hmm. 4 million people with exactly the same agenda, with exactly the same, I mean, 4 million people and one view on abortion, of course there would be that, I mean, 4 million people, right. one view, um, <laughs> Then, then that's absolutely what what you will, and you will see it. I mean, you'll you'll see yep. the nasty uh, placards and stuff. Or if you want to see a beautiful picture of agency, and mm-hmm. and we don't all agree. I mean, think about how many religions were represented. Think about how many. Oh um, I mean, uh, you know, ethnicities. I mean, it's that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a beautiful representation of humanity, like you said, saying no. Mm-mm. And it was women. I mean, it was women. And I, I love it. I mean, I hate it that it's like, <laughs> but I, but I actually said, okay, I mean, that's, there, there's something to that that is also really, it shows strength. And, um, so, and there are lots of men, I think who, um, and men that we mentioned at the top of the hour, Seth, Nate, myself, others that, um, are, are working for change in that regard as well. And, but I, but I would say as a white evangelical Christian male, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, it's like you just, there's a lot of learning, you know, there's a lot of like, well, let me, let me listen first. And, but then there's also this, like, I I feel the pressure to use that platform to say stuff too, you know? So it's like this, there's a, there's a back and forth with that even that I find not easy to navigate. Um, the ecotone, but the ecotone. That's we, we are people of the ecotone niche. Right. We are people, people of the ecotone. I saw this great poster that this guy was wearing at the march yesterday, and he's old man. Gosh, must have been maybe ninety, pushing ninety. I mean, one hundred and fifty. Like, he was one hundred and fifty right, years he was, old. He was the oldest man on the planet. Yeah. And he was, I mean, hunched over, could barely walk, and he had the sandwich board sign on him that was so darling. And the front of it said, I'm with her, I'm with her, I'm with her, I'm with her. And it had all the arrows pointing everywhere. Oh, and then wow. on the back, 
it said, I'm old and I've learned just listen to them. They know what they're talking about. (laughs) That's killer. So beautiful. Yay. Old man. I know. Yay. Old man. Yay. Old Salt Lake city man. You and Seth and Nate and my husband and all these good guys that are saying, no, it's enough for us too. Yeah. You know, it's enough for us too. So it's good. Well, thanks, Nish, so much for – it really was beautiful talking to you. Just beautiful oh, getting to know you. you. So good. I look forward to your next book. And um, I So I will – gang, I will include links to uh, buy her book and um, – Thank you. Um, and other stuff. And can I put your fa- – I guess I'm asking you and I'm going to record this. But can I put Facebook and Twitter <laughs> on there? No. Oh, yeah. No. I'll send you my uh, the the public Facebook page. Ah, beautiful. Put that okay, oh, sounds yeah, good. Totally. All right, Nish. Well, I have a little thing that I say at the end of every podcast. So okay. the podcast is called This Good Word, and it's reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the thing. And and this little this little rallying cry is: We are human and holy. We are limited and limitless. We are dust and breath, and we're in it together. So I would say that to you. And um, it's so, so good to get to know you and to hear your story. It's, it's good. It's so good. It's beautiful. Likewise. We'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. <laughs>